subcontracting? Are you ready to subcontract with more intention? Hear from three creative business owners and their experiences on how they started and continue to subcontract to help maintain their business and control smart growth. What tips will you implement after hearing this podcast to strengthen your own freelance business? I'm Jenny Poff, and this is the DR5. Welcome to the DR Vibe. This is a podcast for creative business conversations with independent creative business owners and freelancers. I'm Jenny Poff. I'm the founder of the Designers Roundtable, and I love to help and talk about entrepreneurial topics to help solo business owners strengthen and grow their businesses. So today's podcast, I have special guests with me, Aliza Epstein and Patrick Sesco. Welcome to the DR Vibe. Thanks, Jenny. It's great to be here. Thank you for having us. So, Aliza, why don't you tell our listeners about how long you've been your own business, what you specialize in, and um, the name of your business. Sure. Um, So, my name is Aliza Epstein. I'm the Chief Creative Officer at the Epstein Creative Group. We're a branding and marketing design firm that specializes in working with mission-driven organizations and our Sweet Spot is working with organizations that benefit women and children. And we do that through branding, web design, logo design, and um, online print and in person. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks so much. Okay, how about you, Patrick? Hi, my name is Patrick Sesco. My company is Sesco Creative. Uh, I'm the founder and principal. And we, similar to Aliza, we specialize in uh, branding and graphic design in general. Uh, more on a corporate level, uh, doing collateral development and, and other marketing materials to um, help other help these businesses, you know, achieve their you know, marketing objectives. Um, and what was the third question there? <laughs> how how long have you been oh, solo? Yes, um, I have been working full time in my business for twelve years. Awesome. Now, the other side of the designers roundtable and the vibe, I have Presque Designs. I'm in Erie. I have been doing branding and marketing and creative um, for 10 years now, and I specialize in entrepreneurial startups um, and businesses who are ready to take it to the next level. And most of those are B2B or um, social impact type organizations. So it's a lot of education and awareness versus retail and um, quick hit stuff. Clearly, I don't love retail quick hits. <laughs> I love helping them build relationships. So that's, that's where I have fun. Okay. So in the designers roundtable, which is this a community of creative business owners, the word and business operation of subcontracting comes up so often. And we have such a full spectrum of members that either have been doing it a really long time or have just kind of started and trying to figure it out. And then we have people that want to start because their volume is getting bigger. So this conversation is just going to be about what is subcontracting? So I'm curious to Aliza and Patrick, at what point in your business did you realize you had to start subcontracting? What were some of those mile markers that you hit um, that moved you into this part of your business? Well, I've read and seen a lot of guidelines about this. The one that comes to mind is that 
when you're at the point where you have to turn away 50% of your work because you have so much work, it's time to start subcontracting. So that I think is like a general guideline that's been out there. For me, I was freelancing before I started my business. And so once I officially started the business, I already had a lot of work in the pipelines. And the plan from the beginning was always to develop a team and for it not to be just me. So very early on, I started bringing in people. And as work got bigger and more, I just started bringing on more people. So it was pretty much from the beginning that we started subcontracting. But I think as a rule of thumb, the guidelines that are out there is about the 50% rule. When you're ready to offshoot 50% yeah. of your workload. When, when, you're, when, you're, when you are turning down 50% of your business, 50% of the clients that are coming to you because you just can't handle any more work, then it's time. Because you always want to be a little bit pushing the limits, right? You know, but if you're consistently like having to push away 50% of it because you just can't take on any work, then it's time. Well, I think that's, you know, one angle of it. And the other angle is like, what if you want to go on vacation? Or what if you just got a really big project and you need to sub out parts of it? So there's, I think there's two different like uh, highways that can happen True. with it, right? Well, I think just like a doctor or a lawyer, when they go on vacation, they usually have someone to contact. So I've seen it where designers either give their client, I've even seen it on your uh, signature where you say, I will be out during this time and you give everybody a heads up. And if they need extra work, you know, we all should be networked with other professionals in our community and have backups um, and have those relationships build up. But that, those are like temporary contractors, not ongoing. But I think as a rule, you definitely want to have someone back up. So absolutely. Okay, Patrick, how about you? When, at what point in your business did you realize you had to start subcontracting? Um, for me, it wasn't necessarily a percentage of work. It was just basically how much work I was getting at once. So as, you know, unlike Eliza, I didn't have these grand plans of, you know, having a team and all these things. I was sort of forced into my business because I was laid off from a job and my wife, you know, we had a, a 10 month old. So it was sort of a, a trial by fire in terms of being thrown into working for myself. So I kind of was uh, thrown into the fire as it were. And uh, over the years, as I began to get more clients, you know, when you have multiple clients coming to you at one time, you know, there, there is a busy season, especially when it comes to marketing. So especially right in the fall is when everybody really kicks up their, their efforts because they won in the corporate world, they need to get their budget spent before the end of the year. So I would typically get really busy at a certain time of year. And so what I would do is when that work came in, I would bring somebody on to help with usually the production side of things. So, you know, I would do the overarching high level design, creative direction, and then sub out and art direct the, the production work. So it could be, you know, an annual report or whatever booklet, something larger, and that's what, that's what I would do. Um, so it was usually just based on actual workload. Um, and that's the beauty of having subcontractors. They're not employees. You can use them when you need them. And, uh, you know, you can, you can, grow, you can uh, grow the team based on how much work you have, so to speak. It gives you flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And that's even some of the language I use with some of my clients of if it's a really grand project, 
and they know I'm a boutique small agency. Well, how are you going to, the question is, how are you going to do it? I'm like, I have a team of experts and I pull them in as needed. So if I need a writer for this type of, uh, air of conversation, uh, air of language, and I'm going to pull this one in and if I need the developer and I just pull them in as needed. And the selling feature I think that has helped with clients is these people now are not sitting on payroll Monday through Friday, not, you know, so that that's overhead, you know, and that's why the prices are higher. And I said, this way I give you the fair price and you only pay for the work that you actually need. Right. And so that, that's been a helpful um, conversation piece. And just to clarify, we are talking about subcontracting where the bill is going to come just from you to the client, not that, you know, I have someone I work with, but you're going to pay them directly. Like we are the only, we're the only bill that the client's going to get. Correct. Yeah. Because I think the other avenue is just a referral tool. Right. Yeah. Or, or I view that as, because uh, I don't consider myself a freelancer. I have a legitimate business. And just because I'm technically the only employee of that business doesn't mean I'm not a business. Right. Whereas, you know, just so if I'm a business, I'm going to have expenses and that could be subs, that could be other external vendors. Um, so um, the, those kinds of things that if they were a freelancer, then, you know, if I were a freelancer, then I would be probably not subbing them out. I would probably be doing the referrals. Patrick, I am 100% on board with you, and this could be another topic, but I do not like being called a freelancer. Oh, I don't <laughs> it either. It bothers me. I don't so either. I no, but it's funny. I just wrote down, we need to talk about, this yes. definitely another podcast, because I wrote a blog about the evolution of a freelancer it's and the processes word. or the milestones you hit before you, it, it's this switch that happens of considering yourself a business owner. So it's definitely a really good There are topic. people that are you know, doing this full time and making a lot of money and they still call themselves freelancers. I'd rather be called a creative entrepreneur or a business owner, but another topic. What, what did I use in Nashville at time, Patrick? I think I said creative preneur <laughs> was. Creative preneur. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <Something> preneur. <laughs> right? But yeah, I agree with you, Aliza. Um, yeah. Because there's a connotation that comes with the word freelancer. It feels like, yeah, you're just kind of temporary, yeah. half assing it, you know, or whatever. Yeah, and it's like, we're doing a lot more work than that. We'll, we'll, we'll hold that. <laughs> okay, really? so here's another question for you both. Um, what, what are some of the challenges that you have? You know what, before we hit challenges, um, let's talk about what are some of the things that make you proud in subcontracting? What are some of the highs of subcontracting? Say that one more time. Sure. What are some, like, what are some of the benefits that you have um, in considering when you're doing subcontracting? What makes it worth it? Well, I think Patrick definitely hit on some of those benefits in that it gives you that flexibility for um, growing or shrinking your services as needed without the full-time expense. So you're flexible. So you have a flexible uh, workforce. And then I think the other one is that you can bring in experts with other skill sets. So I like to build a diverse team where I know someone is really good at doing logos and someone's really good at doing publications and someone's really good at doing infographs because I believe you can't be an expert at everything. Everybody likes something. Even though they can do everything, they like something. So I really am big on having people do what they love. So I think, you know, 
I think I'm a good designer, but I know that there's some areas where someone else can do it much better than I am can. So bringing in those different talents makes, I think, a, is a big benefit. What about you, Patrick? Um, and just to add to that, and like aside from having other skills that are, you know, in the design realm, say, for instance, like, you know, I design logos. And I think I'm pretty good at it, but I know for a fact there's other people that are better at it than I am. I mean, that's just that that's that's a fact of life, no matter how good you are. Um, but then it also gives you the opportunity to bring in uh, someone who can offer a service that you don't know anything about. Could be web development, photography, illustration, uh, any of those things. So that's another um, opportunity. And also, as far as growing and and contracting your team as needed. In my case, like when I first started subcontracting, it was because of it was the workload sort of dictated it. Whereas now I subcontract with more intention in that, <clears throat> excuse me, I mean, my goal is to get away from behind the computer designing on a day to day basis. And it gives me an opportunity to focus more on uh, revenue generating, you know, things such as building this workshop that I'm working on or, you know, getting more clients or networking more because those are the things that I don't spend a lot of time doing because I'm always behind the computer, you know, pushing buttons. Yeah, <laughs> grinding the workout. Uh, well, was, that, was that the question that you were asking me? Because I, I was sort of added on to what she was saying, so I wanted to make sure. To add on to that is what, not even design work. Let's say you just don't like bookkeeping or writing proposals. So outsourcing things, That's that was one of the first things I learned when I started researching you know, about running a business, and I took all these workshops and classes about the business side of things, they all said, as soon as you can, outsource the stuff that you are not good at, because someone else can do it better, and I think, Patrick, you said this before, or maybe before we got online, that your time is valuable, so do what you love and outsource everything else. Yeah, I mean, that's one thing we didn't even really touch on when, you, when you're when you contracting. I mean, that's, you know, I have accountants, I have bookkeepers, you know. Yeah. I mean, for me, that I don't even consider them contractors, even though they technically are. They're they are, though, yeah. But not in the, uh, the operation of my design business, actually providing the design. So, um, absolutely, yeah. I mean, those things, definitely. But if that's you're, right, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of focusing on the creative, like getting – Right. Creative freelancer, excuse me, not contractors, <laughs> um, to help with the workload as opposed to, but yes, it's the same concept because they can right. help with the workload of the stuff that you don't need to be spending your time on, you know, flowing an 80 page text document, you know? Right. Well, that's yeah. why I think there's really big questions that people need to ask themselves if they're thinking about starting subcontracting is what do they picture their business being? You know, do they picture it being, behind the computer, out from behind the computer and doing more account rep type of things or maybe other revenue generating tools for their business? Or are they simply just having a volume issue where they need to get some control? I think, Jenny, one of the, and sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, at least, uh, but before I forget, because, you know, my memory is short as I'm getting older here, <laughs> but at one of the uh, retreats that we went to a couple years ago in Nashville, one of the speakers had said, you know, are you a designer or are you a business owner? And you kind of have to make that distinction to some degree. I mean, yes, we're always going to be designers because that's what our core, you know, competency is, but, you know, are we running a business or are we just freelance designers, right? So... 
It well, is but a, then there's, I think, another layer to that. You know, you could answer the question of a designer or business owner, and which either it's kind of like choose your story, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And if if either way, the next question should be, how much money do you want to make? Because yeah. that's another avenue of you could be a designer and only make X amount, or you could be a designer and want to make more. Well, it's deciding right. what your goals are. Correct. But to right. perfect segue, what I was going to say um, to add on to what Patrick says. So there's anyone who's a business owner needs to read the book E-Myth, Reinvented, okay? Whatever business you're in, any business should read that book, right? So just to pull something quickly out of that book, it kind of sums up that every business owner has like three personalities. The CEO, big picture thinker, the project manager makes sure that things get done and then the worker bee who's actually doing the work and you are doing all three of those things and there was an exercise in the book where it had you actually create an org chart and even if right now your name is in each of those boxes but starting to think about your business as these different pieces in the org chart that was that really helped me put things in perspective and think about what the plan would be and but i agree you I, from the beginning, knew that I wanted to have a team. You have to decide if you want to be just as much work as you can handle and as much money as you can make, or you want to grow a team. Like That is the first question you have to ask. So, But that exercise of doing the org chart and then thinking about yourself as those three different personalities, which technically are always combating each other because the worker bee is doing a lot of work and the manager is trying to get them to be efficient. So there's always battles there and then once the manager finally gets things efficient the big picture thinker comes up with some new idea and now we have to start all over again so you're, there's always this inner struggle and so the sooner you can start separating out those personalities that was a big uh, mental game changer for me when I started Man, I would love to find some stats on the mental health of independent business owners <laughs> right could, I mean that's a multi-personality disorder with your one person right because you have right. to be CEO and project manager and account rep and designer yeah. and bookkeeper and like all these things and it's like no wonder we're all like exhausted so. I would yeah. like to see those stats as well as the uh, first year uh, the year in which they first noticed gray hairs <laughs> after how many years of business <laughs> it's very well i mean it's much better explained in the book but that was a big takeaway for me no that's true we hear that book mentioned a lot yeah it's definitely one that any freelancer slash business owner should definitely check out yeah so we talked about some of the successes you mean the main one being flexibility to contract and expand as needed right and to save you time what have been some of your challenges through your subcontracting um, part of your business? So my business is per completely virtual, right? right? And so I would be giving a different answer if it was on ground. But this virtual thing is not cut out for everybody. And there's definitely a certain kind of personality and skill set that is needed if you're going to be participating in a virtual agency. I get a lot of requests for interns. This is not a good experience for an intern because I really need someone who already knows what they're doing, has really good communication skills, is very organized, and already has years of experience. And it wouldn't so it wouldn't be good for someone just starting out or just someone who is um, trying to get their feet wet. So there's a lot of time spent interviewing 
candidates and sort of testing them out also to see if they're a good fit for this kind of um, operation or this kind of this this kind of business model. So that is that could be a challenge. I mean, I'm lucky right now. I have a fabulous team, and they're all exactly the kind of people that I want to work with. They love working with us, and so that I'm very, very grateful for that. But you know, it took a while to build the right team that is and people and personalities and characteristics that are right for this kind of setup. Well, but I can hear right away some of the people thinking about starting this. When you hear quality, you also hear price. And so the better the quality, the higher the expense will be in subcontracting them. So my answer to that is the way we're set up, I have, I'm the owner and chief creative officer, and then I also have a project coordinator. The client only talks to me and my coordinator, my coordinator and I, and that's it. We are the, we are the only face the client hears from. So... What we're offering our, our contractors is that we will handle all the client relationships, all the, this logo is missing or what, what files do you need or all that stuff. We write the creative brief. We handle and package it all nice and neatly so that those designers can just focus on the design. And so in return for that, since you're just focusing on design, you're giving me a better rate because one, I'm packaging it for you and your normal rate includes all that other stuff. And also we're, I mean- You funneled them the work. They didn't and have I'm, to and find I'm it. I'm giving them work. Yeah. And, and so I find that, especially the people that we have working for this now, they really appreciate the fact that they can just, they just, wanna, they just wanna do good work and design and that's their focus. They're not looking to build a team, they just want to do good work. And we're letting them do that. And so because of that relationship, because of the consistent work, they give us a, a better price. So that's that I think, you know, we've kind of talked about a lot of different things here and just to sprinkle on it a little bit, cause we can allude into it in another interview is um, vetting out those subcontractors. Cause when you find someone you like, like for instance, there's one that I've talked with and I said, okay, listen, your rate is X for you when you work directly to client. But if I'm bringing you the work and I'm handling all of the interaction and the challenges between client and the output and you just need to produce, mm -hmm. you need to give me a discounted rate. And when they say, no, 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 that's my hourly rate, there's this other flip of mindset happening now. So this contractor needs to understand that you're not discounting your services and cheapening what you're giving me you have to trust that I'm going, I'm about to make your life easier where you can really focus on your craft. And that's like a whole other conversation. So to me, that's not the right, that's not the right partner for you. And so, that I too, mean, and I that's mean, part that's, of that vetting, you know. And, and I've, I've had that also. I mean, if you're going to be a strategic partner, there's, that's what I was talking about, the certain personality and characteristics. You know, I mean, I have a certain way I deal with my clients like we are not penny pinchers you know like we're very flexible we're not I don't want people to be stressed out about every time I call them they're gonna be charging I need people that work for me to have that same attitude where quality and work come first and then come the price and those relationships 
turn out to be better. The freelancers that worked for us that didn't have that attitude or that's kind of some of the questions I ask up front when I do the interview. Sure. So, you know, you have to, and you have to trust your gut. If you get a bad feeling. Yeah. It's pause, okay to walk away. You just got to walk away. Yeah. I mean, Patrick, that, what about, I'm sorry, Elisa, Patrick, no, what a, about you? What are some of the challenges you faced in subcontracting? Um, challenges are finding people who are just flat out reliable one. And uh, second is to be able to relinquish some of the control over because I have a certain standard of the work that I do and, I, and my clients, I know that they accept, expect a certain level of, of work and quality and attention to detail, although I'm the worst at missing spelling. <laughs> but, um, that's why you hire proofers. <laughs> um, so it, it has to do with relinquishing the control over the quality. Granted, you're still going to look at everything before it goes back to the client. So that's one. The other challenge is uh, finding somebody who's going to be reliable because a lot of the people who are going to be subcontractors are freelancers. And some, some of the ones that I work with do have full-time jobs. So I only sub out certain work to them that I know that either has a certain time limit or I know that they have availability for it. Because it's a, I hate to use the word stable, but it's a stable of people at different levels. So if I have a job that's going to be, you know, 50 word documents, I'm probably going to have, have somebody who's going to be much more on a production, straight only production, and they're probably going to have a full-time job. So, so really that's like a high, I call it a hired risk um, action that you're having them do. Like you're dictated specifically what you need them to do and they just do it. Yeah. And I direct them. And, but it, this, the, so part of the other challenge is this, you know, finding the reliable people. So, um, and then this can kind of segue into how to find subs, but most of the people I have subbed out to have always been referred to by somebody I know. So there's at least one or two degrees of separation from people I actually know who have vetted them or, you know, I trust their word or, and that's what about, you know, that's what networking is all about. So you know, I would never, I wouldn't say I would never, but I don't go to like an O desk or something like that. I've looked around on there before, but I, I've never pulled the trigger because I just, I think it's too much at stake, you know, it's your reputation at stake. So you got to have people that you know are going to be there. And if they're not, there's processes in place that you know, can handle any kind of situation that would come up. Sure. Okay. So, um, we have, I mean, there's a lot of different angles we can dig into for subcontracting and, and, and so many different levels and pathways to take. So why don't we, um, close this interview out with what are some tips and suggestions you would give to someone who's just starting to think about starting to subcontract within their business? I think just like with anything, you first have to have a clear idea of what your goals are and what your plan is. What are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to build a permanent team? Are you trying to just handle this, you know, just have a backup plan? I think you have to have clarity about that. Um, I think you have to really do your due diligence and make sure that you are interviewing and hiring the right kind of people that will be a good fit personality-wise and skill-wise and, um, and has the same attitude and business mindset and ethics that you do. Um, so and depending on the answers to those questions will depend on where you go from there. Right, and I think that'll segue right into, you know, how does that affect the business growth on, and the book side of things when you can align those goals, everything else will fall into place. 
Um, Patrick, what about you? What are some tips you would give? Um, tips are, so if you're in the design world, as we are, or advertising, you know, creative marketing world, you know, you have a network of people you've worked with over the past, other partners you've done projects with, ask them, ask around, who, who, who are other people using? Because nine times out of 10, they'll be willing to share their resources, right? Um, second, start small. If you, have a, if you have a project, don't wait until you are so slammed to where you really can't put the time and energy into project managing somebody else or art directing somebody else. So start small. Start with something that's your own. If you have some uh, social media graphics you need to do for your own business, hire, hire a, a contractor to do some of those things to see how they work. Or it could be something if you have some time on a project, you know, sub out a part of that project to them. Um, or it could be do something that is more, you know, production level, not higher level. Um, so yeah, ask around, hit your network up and start small are the two biggest tips. I think those are awesome. I said that was a great point. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you guys so much. I think that we definitely have a lot more we could dig into. I mean, we talked about briefly in our intro or, you know, getting ready for this interview that there are really three big buckets to dissect about subcontracting. That's the legal side of things, which we didn't even touch on today. There's the whole finance side, which could go a whole other conversation. And we did talk a lot today, though, about personnel, um, but that could go a lot. That could go a lot deeper. So why don't we um, let's revisit and and go deeper so we can help share and help other people grow smart. Sounds like a plan. Sounds good to me. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. So I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Patrick Sesco and Eliza Epstein, two solo creative business owners. If you'd like to contact them, you can find them at designers-roundtable.com and click on DR Vibe. I'd love to hear from you. What challenges do you struggle with in growing your freelance or creative business? Just email me what topics you'd love to hear the DR Vibe cover at jenny at designers-roundtable.com. Stay tuned for more creative conversations on the business of design with the DR Vibe podcast.